Sorry, that was the rather pathetic sound effects from my party for one in my shed because today I'm celebrating the 50th episode of the Living Adventurously podcast. If you are still listening, congratulations, you're showing epic levels of perseverance. If you've enjoyed this podcast series, please, please, please tell a friend or two, leave a review on your podcast app and then come join me for my celebratory shared party. I've loved doing this podcast. I've met some fantastic people and today for the 50th episode is no exception. I had a really, really good conversation with Zara Mahmood. She's relatively new to the outdoor world of hills and mountains, but Zara has truly caught the bug. I love her enthusiasm and the sheer joy that she gets from escaping from her office world of chartered accountancy out to Hillwalk in the beautiful Scottish landscapes where she lives. Um, Zara and I chatted about her passion for Munro bagging, um, hiking in a hijab, being stared at for looking different, and the need for change in the outdoor community to increase representation and diversity in the hills. I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is sponsored by Trees for Cities, which is the only UK charity working at a national and international scale to improve lives by planting trees in cities. Since 1993, Trees for Cities have planted over 1.1 million trees in cities around the world. They also get stuck in with local communities to cultivate lasting change in their neighbourhoods, whether it's revitalising forgotten spaces, creating healthier environments, or getting people excited about growing, foraging and eating healthy food. Last season, they planted almost... Sorry, they didn't plant... Oh, man. A good professional would re-record. I'm going to keep going because it's nearly breakfast time. Last season, almost 100,000 new trees took root and they were planted with the help of over 6,400 volunteers, including me. Volunteering at Trees for Cities Day are really, really good days out. They're really good fun. Um, if you want to find out more, visit treesforcities.org. Good morning, Zara. I'm uh, speaking to you very early in the morning because you've got a, a, a busy day ahead. Uh, you've, got, you've got to go to work today. What, what's your day hold for you? Well, at least it's Friday, so um, I'm a chartered accountant um, and I'm working from home during this time. So the day will just be, um, I actually work as an auditor for the public sector, so the day will be checking, continuing checking council accounts and then hopefully an early finish because I'm hoping to get out today after work because it's a nice day. Oh, where, are you heading, where are you heading to later? I've actually not decided yet, but I'm thinking maybe the Kilpatrick Hills. So I'm something within a travelling distance and something that will allow me to finish just before sunset, hopefully. So how long does it take you to get from um, the world of Zoom meetings and Excel spreadsheets, which is my (laughs) stereotypical guess at what accountants (laughs) do all day? Uh, How long does it take you to get from there to the hills? Um, so it depends where I'm going, but if I'm going to the local hills, then probably about half an hour. 
So not too bad. Um, once I log off, I'm just in the house. Once I log off, quick change of clothes, uh, but I get my bag and into the car. So yeah, probably about just over half an hour. All oh in. man. Yeah. Um, so so um, are you during your day of work? Are you sort of sneakily checking weather forecasts on the on the outdoor websites and making plans? I am. I am. I totally am, especially on a Friday and if I've got plans on the weekend. Um, and recently I've been Monroe bagging, so even more checking the summit, checking the area, checking everything in between um, work. So yeah, I'm very well aware of what the weather's been up to the last few weeks. <laughs> what, which, what are your websites of choice for uh, scoping out adventure potential? So mountain, the mountain, I think it's a mountain weather website. And then also like the BBC is quite good as well. Um, and then just the app on the iPhone is quite good as well. Um, and just kind of continuously checking all three in a cycle. <laughs> do, you know, do you know an app called Dark Sky? It's a, no. it's a really local weather app. So it only <laughs> tells you for the next two or three hours, but it really, sh- it shows you it's going to rain in 10 minutes. I find that really... Get that one. That's really okay. useful up in the hills. Right. For deciding, I know of that can, then. <laughs> can I be bothered to put on my raincoat or do I just go for the five-minute shower? That sort of yeah. thing. Oh, that's so quite be- handy. Before lockdown, when you were in your uh, office, um, are there many – what do your fellow accountants think of you wanting to go up the hills? Do they think you're a weirdo? <laughs> It was actually it was actually two of my friends from work that got me into it. So probably they don't think I'm a weirdo at least. Um, so um, about a few years ago, I was studying for my chartered accountancy exams and they're quite difficult. Um, and I kind of stressed myself out, made myself physically ill as well. So it was actually two of my friends in work that I was studying with at the time that thought it, was, it would be a good thing to get me out into the mountains for my birthday one year. Um, and I thought I was totally naive to it. I also thought that's a bit of a rubbish birthday present, but okay, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) So so they took me up Ben Lomond um, and, you know, Ben Lomond is a Monroe in Scotland. Quite difficult, especially if you've never been hill walking, you've never even actually done any exercise intentionally before. So it was quite difficult and I complained the whole way. So that was my first experience with people from work so hopefully they don't think I'm a weirdo but other people might (laughs) okay that sounds like a rubbish birthday present for someone who's not into hill walking (laughs) yeah I mean looking back I mean they did take me for food afterwards so that did kind of soften the blow um but yeah it was a weird birthday present definitely you know if I had told any of my other friends at the time that weren't into hill walking I think they would have thought the same but I just kind of went along with it I thought let's see if it helps we'll, we'll just do this and see what happens and yeah I, I looking back it was probably one of the best birthday presents but at the time I didn't appreciate it I don't think <laughs> so you have these two friends in your office and they both they quite like hiking and hill walking and stuff do they take are they on a mission to take lots of their different friends out hill walking or did they for some reason pick on you and think Zara we need yeah. I have, we need an evil plan to get this yeah. woman into, away from XL and up into the hills yeah um no they don't actually I don't think they go out of their way to take other people maybe maybe some of their other friends but um it was more because one of my friends one of them Fiona she um is really into Monroe bagging um on and off but actually um just before that she had actually broken her legs so she had just been recovering from that um and she actually broke it on the in pin in sky uh, yeah so Ooh, she had that, actually managed that's I know. a story i'm not sure i want to hear at 7 I, <laughs> I, I, 
when I went up there, I was so terrified. I was yeah. clinging on dear life, even though I had r- rope on him. Oh, I know. She, so she was totally fine on the way up. She managed to get to the summit, all the rest of it. Um, she has experience doing it herself, so she was totally fine. She's quite experienced. But it was on the way down, and I think I, I'm not familiar with it because I've never been, but I think there's kind of loose bouldery scree, I'm assuming. And I think a boulder just came loose and she kind of just got trapped under it. So I think that's the way the story happened. And I didn't appreciate it at the time. I just thought, oh my God, she's crazy anyway. She's in the mountains. Something crazy's probably happened. But now when I'm out there, I'm just like, that is just a freak accident. I can't, like, you know, imagine that happening. So, so yeah, she was into the mountains and my other friend, Pamela, who got me out there, she enjoys hill walking on and off, but doesn't really do it regularly. She's more kind of keeps fit at the gym every day, goes running every morning before work. So I think we both just um, appreciated the benefits of exercise and fitness and what that does for their mental health and also makes them feel kind of refreshed when they're coming in studying. Whereas I was just hitting snooze on my alarm constantly in the morning until I got to work so I think we just kind of thought maybe I needed some kind of fresh perspective in the morning and that way I'd come into work ready to study and focus and all the rest of it and yeah it worked I ended up passing the exam so it must have worked they sound like good friends to have Um, so you're you're relatively new to the outdoors and living adventurously and that that was what appealed to me about chatting to you today so what has surprised you about the mountains and living adventurously since you got started in this? I think it's the fact that I enjoy it so much. So initially it was a, it was a slow burner because I didn't really enjoy it that much initially. Um, in fact, I complained the whole way, so I didn't really go hill walking um, again until about a year later. But in that year, what I did do was kind of build up my fitness. I did the kilt walk with Pamela and Fiona. I um, did other forms of exercise. I kind of took up low-level walking. I um, joined a gym. So I just wanted to kind of build up my fitness from then. Um, and then I was, I was going through a difficult time later on in my life again, and I kind of turned to the hills again. Um, and then since then I've not looked back and that was a few years ago now so I think the fact that I've enjoyed it so much is quite surprising and then also the fact that I've managed to link it to kind of spiritual aspects of my life I didn't even consider that when I started so that was a kind of a eye-opener as well so it's just been a nice surprise all around I think. Mm. So um, what were your preconceptions about hill walking and hiking and the sort of people who do that sort of hill walking and hiking before you got involved in it? So I thought it was, first of all, I thought it was just for fit people, which is not at all. And I know that I said I took that year off and I kind of built up my fitness. But I think that wasn't, in my head, that wasn't because I wanted to get back into the mountains and feel fit for the mountains, because I don't think anything can make you feel that fit unless it's like, it's literally just getting out there. That's what will help you get fit for the mountains. So um, that was just because that one experience highlighted to me that I think I needed to make some changes in my life physically. And I was probably the slimmest I was then, but probably the most unfit I was as well then. Um, so that I think that that's why I did that. But so initially I thought, yeah, it's just for fit people. Um, the, the kind of pre- presumption I had was... Um, people that did it were kind of a bit crazy <laughs> to set their alarm so early on their days off or to take annual leave and want to go and spend the day in the mountains and not do fun stuff, as I would probably think. Um, 
so yeah, my my pre- presumptions were kind of a bit, um, probably a bit unfair, but it it was interesting because I think a lot of people in my life do think that that don't go hill walking still and do now put have those presumptions about me so I have to kind of continuously remind people I'm not really that fit I just kind of enjoy hill walking and I'm not the fastest person I'm not the fittest person but um, I think that just shows that it is for everybody Um, and I was so um, naive initially when they wanted to take me hill walking that I thought when they said we're going up a mountain because they didn't say hill walking or hiking they said we're going up a mountain I thought it was actually like with the harness round the side of that and I'd be climbing up and I initially said oh no 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 I can't do that um and they said no no we're walking up it it's got a path the whole way through, up so you'll be fine um and so yeah that that was kind of how naive I was to it <laughs> okay um so I, I love it when new people discover the outdoors it, it's great and I so I love it either through conversations or when I'm up in the hills and I see people coming up who are quite clearly never been up a hill before you can yeah. sometimes you can just tell yeah these guys are not normally going up a hill often yeah. because they're wearing flip-flops or something <laughs> but so, uh, how and I love so I love this but how do I cheer on newcomers to the outdoor world without sounding patronizing this is something I'm always wondering in my head as I'm walking <laughs> along a hill towards people I think I want to make these people feel really welcome but how do I do that without being patronising? I think you've got to kind of, it's obviously finding that balance, isn't it? I think just maybe if you're stopping to talk to someone up and out in the hills, um, then maybe just kind of, you know, acknowledge, just get into a conversation before you kind of start cheating them on because it almost seems a bit like (laughs) overwhelming, I think. Because sometimes when I'm like almost, like maybe say three quarters of the way and you're just before your second wind and you're struggling and someone starts saying oh you're almost there you're almost there like trying to push you along it's nice but it's a bit overwhelming so maybe if you're going to do that just maybe get into a conversation first and make sure that they are new to hill walking before you just assume <laughs> yes, that yes. They're, they're just not unfit like me so you know just maybe get into a conversation first but one of my favorite things to do is um you know I follow certain hashtags on Instagram and one of my favorite things to do is if someone's saying oh this was my first Monroe or this was my first this or this was my first outing um, is just to kind of drop them a comment even if you follow them or don't follow them just drop a comment on them and I think people really appreciate that because that that's what was kind of done to me when I first started my page on Instagram and I think that really helped me feel welcome and feel like part of the community um, so I think it's two things to do maybe online and offline um, and just find that balance because I think a lot of people are excited to share their adventures and it's a bit rubbish if no one's sharing that excitement with them so yeah, yeah, I like to do that. Yeah, as well. that, that's interesting. The uh, on the hill encouragement and the online one. So, what what are some uh, good hashtags that you enjoy keeping an eye on? Hill walking, <laughs> hill walking Scotland, hill walking Scotland specifically, and then um, um, I quite like uh, to follow Monroe bagging as well, just so that I can see other people's adventures. But a lot of the time, I think even if people aren't Monroe bag- bagging at that point. Um, everybody knows that kind of term mostly. Um, so even if it's our first Monroe, they'll excitedly maybe put that up. I know I did. So, you know, I follow that hashtag as well. So there's loads of good ones to follow, I think. But they, those three are my favourite. OK, well, you are now clearly becoming an expert outdoor woman because uh, you're throwing around <laughs> phrases like Monroe bagging. And I'm quite sure that a lot of people listening to this podcast 
will not have a clue what that is, uh, either because they're not into hill walking or they're not from never been to Scotland. So Mm -hmm. what is Munro bagging? So a Munro in Scotland uh, is a mountain and it's over 3000 feet. Um, which doesn't mean necessarily, which I found out, um, was quite pleased to find out, doesn't mean you're climbing the whole 3,000 feet because you could be starting <laughs> higher up. Um, so yeah, it's a mountain in Scotland over 3,000 feet and I think there's about, I'm going to get this wrong because I think I'll get my number, uh, for an accountant, I think I get my numbers mixed up all the time, but I think it's 282 Munros in Scotland, so there's quite a few to get through. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, 282 and... Um, you bagged number one, Ben Lomond. Yeah. Yep. Uh, how many have you done now? So I start. Ben Lomond was a few years ago, and then I didn't go back to Monroe bagging until uh, April last year. So since April last year, April May last year, I've done now a total of twenty one. Twenty one. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Which so, has been your favourite so far? So uh, my favourite so far. And I'm going to but- butcher the pronunciation, but it's... Um, well, in Glencoe. it'll be a lot better than mine. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, in, it's in Glencoe and it's um, two in one, but it's called Buachil Etiv Beg, I think. It's the one across, it's, a, it's the less famous one across from the White House one. Um, you okay. know, the one famous one with the White House in the, in the, uh, in the pictures. Um, so it's two in one day. And I think that specifically was amazing because... It was done in December, just December there last year. And um, what was amazing about that one was it was a completely clear day. Um, and I it was one of the kind of short days in December and I had no idea that I'd be able to get two done. I had done two previously in one day. Um, I had actually done three in one day, but they'd all been in the summer days, long days. So I didn't think I would. Um, and I've got a bit of a, at that point, I hadn't gone out, you know, um, sunset hiking or whatever. And I didn't have that confidence and I kind of wanted to see the route down. So um yeah, so I thought in my head, I'll do one. And, you know, if I get the other one done, it's a bonus and that and that's all right. And I think we started quite late as well as me and a couple of friends. We started quite late, about 10, 11 o'clock as well. So I didn't have any expectations in my mind. I don't think the weather was forecast to be that great either. So the fact that it was clear days, I managed to get both done and get home before it was pretty much dark. I, I think I was just, it was a whole experience wrapped into one. It was just amazing mm. feeling to feel that in a sense of accomplishment. Oh, that's lovely. Um, do you ever hike by yourself? I do, but not Monroe's. Um, I've not built up the confidence yet for um, Monroe uh, bagging on my own. Um, I do. I have been on hikes like closer ones, Kilpatrick Hills, um, ones in Paisley as well, um, on my own, um, which is nice. And it's normally either after work or a morning um, on the weekend that I know that maybe I've got something on later that day. Um, I think... As well, just maybe for a, being a woman and being an ethnic minority woman, sometimes it's just that kind of voice in the back of your head that this might be a wee bit unsafe for me. So maybe don't venture out too far. Do you, um, do you like hiking in a big group or a small group or do you have any desire to start doing these things by yourself? So, yeah, um, I think for me, it's not really a social activity because... Um, because I like to go with a couple of people because I think it takes away from the spiritual aspect for me, so which I value quite a lot. So, yeah, so I tend to go with maybe one or two people, but I think at some point in my life I would maybe like to experience it just to say I've done it because I think a lot of people kind of expect you to when they 
they see that you're kind of out there hill walking, they probably expect that you have been out on your own. So I think it would be something that I would like to tick off at one point. But other than that, I'm not too bothered because I quite like the company. Sometimes, especially with like-minded people, because it's nice to just kind of I quite get into quite sometimes quite deep chats when you're out there hiking and all the rest of it is a bit philosophical, spiritual. So I think um, I quite like that company. So I wouldn't mind, you know, trying it out. But I, uh, I mean, I might change my mind. I might enjoy it so much. I don't want anyone around me. <laughs> but um, I think for now, I'm quite content. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So I've, I've most of my life has been loving the outdoors. So I've spent decades now looking at maps i've got maps all on the walls of my shed um, and i can't help but look at maps and start looking for routes and thinking look all those contour lines that seems like a nice way up so i can just it's very easy for me all that sort of stuff so what sort of things do you think i'm not even thinking about that as being a a barrier for newcomers getting out into the mountains well, I think just even when you started talking there, I was thinking I would no ha- have no idea how to about <laughs> 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 contour lines or anything. So um, I think a lot of people, like, for example, when I'm talking to people in my community that want to maybe start hill walking, a lot of them don't even realise, like I didn't initially, what, that there's like a path the whole way up. You don't have to have a GPS. You don't have to, you know, have um, like navigation compasses or whatever. You don't kind of follow the path up and come back the same way Um, and I think a lot of people don't realise that and maybe think it's a lot more complicated than it is Um, which is totally you know understandable because that's the way that I thought initially as well Um, obviously there are harder ones where there is navigation needed and that's fine but just to kind of get started out there you know just even knowing that and knowing that there's websites out there like Walk Highlands um, for Scotland that kind of lay out the route for you even if there's slightly going off the path um you know that that's all new as well to a lot of people um hiking kit i think people think you need all everything at once to get started and don't realize that for some walks you can get away with maybe even trainers like somewhere like the Kilpatrick's you could just get away with trainers if you're just going up to a lot of companies a lot of company and come back down um, which I've done a few times and kind of running trainers and it's been totally fine not not running up but you know just walking up and um, yeah. so yeah I think there's just all those kind of expectations I think especially if you're looking at people maybe on social media and following people that have got all this kind of kit and do go out regularly and are in the middle of nowhere in these mountains and you can't see a path or you see them kitted out and you see you know all this and you think oh you know you just kind of see the highlights of the trip you don't realise they are struggling to breathe the whole way up as well, you know, just <laughs> understanding. So I think I think there's probably a lot of um, barriers and these are just maybe some that I remember and I'm quite aware of, but, you know, there might be other ones that people aren't. So I think sometimes just, you know, um, just asking someone that wants to get into hiking, you know, what is it that you're worried about and just trying to kind of alleviate that fear. Mm, yeah, one thing I've I've been I um a few years ago I wrote a book called Micro Adventures, which mm-hmm. is about really deliberately small adventures. And the question I kept asking myself as I was writing that book was, if X stops people doing adventures, what's available? If Y mm-hmm. stops them doing, what can you do? So yeah, I think that's it's a very individual thing, isn't it? Yeah. Have you um have you got interested in camping out in the hills or staying the night in bothies or or do you like your warm comfy bed at night <laughs> well I see if you'd asked me that before lockdown I would have said I like my warm comfy bed I'm not going camping or anything 
But I think lockdown's given me a, a kind of more of a appreciation for the outdoors, um, especially, you know, with your daily walk that we've been allowed up here. So um, it's been, you know, a kind of a, a, a saviour in that sense. So I think I've been, I, I've actually, the last few weeks, I've been kind of looking and thinking and planning in my head and thinking, yeah, yeah I'd like to try that out. I wonder what that involves and kind of just researching it mm. to kind of make myself feel comfortable first. But I think, you know, there's some Monroe's that I've always wanted to do, whether I do all of them or not. And right now I've not decided whether I want to do all of them. Um, but, you know, there's some Monroe's that I have always wanted to do where you will have to um, camp out or stay in a bothy. So I think I'm going to have to get over that fear or get over that wanting that comfort of my bed soon if I'm going to want to do that um, but no I have been looking into it more recently I think there's a few people as well that I follow that um, were so excited not just to hike as soon as lockdown was over but also to do wild camping and all, all the rest of it so I think that kind of zest for that has kind of caught on with me so yeah I'm, I'm looking into it with me. Oh nice <laughs> two of my favourite things in the world are wild camping on the top of a big hill in Scotland above the above the midge level yeah. or to uh, staying the night in the bothies that, yeah. in Scotland so you have got you're living close to one of my favorite places in the world so I'm I'm very jealous living in in um you living in Glasgow you're nice and accessible to these wild places now Definitely. um so you said that you said earlier that you only really got into the hills relatively recently despite growing up in Glasgow near a fantastic outdoor stuff were you not introduced in any way to the outdoors at school or um, through clubs or anything you did when you were a kid um not really I remember probably uh, I'm probably forgetting some things I mean you had those kind of um outings that you used to have in school to like <laughs> Aberfoyle and stuff and I kind of did that but I'd I don't I don't remember anything kind of specific. Um I was part of the gardening club, so I suppose that was kind of outside. But no, I was actually more into fascinated and and I'm no way like interested now because it, it, it all goes over my head, but kind of more into like computers because that was all kind of coming out when we were in school and it was like, oh, we've got one computer in a in a classroom and you know, mm-hmm. all the rest of it. So I was kind of um enchanted by that funnily enough but no I, I wasn't really introduced to it outside I mean don't get me wrong I grew up playing badminton and my dad um we have a makeshift badminton court in the back garden and he taught me bad my dad taught me to badminton so that I've been playing badminton since I was a kid um with my family and my sisters and some friends and stuff um and I used to really enjoy PE in school as well just not the cross-country running um that was I was never <laughs> a fan of that <laughs> I used to enjoy things like basketball and hockey and just I think it's because yeah. I'm quite competitive actually I used to enjoy any kind of sports that were like teams on teams so um I used to enjoy that kind of stuff in school and you know stuff like I my dad taught me to ride a bike so all that kind of stuff I did mm. have I did have the outdoors as part of my life when I was growing up, but maybe just not the mountains. It wasn't a done thing when I was growing up to kind of travel, get up early and travel just to kind of walk up this mountain um, where you can just kind of get that exercise. If you're looking at it from specifically an exercise point of view, you can get that closer by. Yeah, yeah, yeah but um, things have definitely changed you now because you've got this, I came across you via Instagram, you've got this 
envy-inducing Instagram <laughs> feed of mountain after mountain. And by the way, you're an accountant. Yeah. I'm the adventurer. <laughs> but you you get your spending far more time than me in the mountains. It's wonderful. I wish I lived near the hills. It's, yeah, really fantastic. So why, why did you start to share your adventures on Instagram? Why don't you just keep them private just, mm. just for yourself? What, mm-hmm. what was, why did you do that? I think initially I did kind of keep them private. Um, but then I used to actually have a different Instagram account, like a, a personal one, if you will. Um, and I started posting on there um, just because I was so amazed of what I was doing and I wanted to kind of share it. And it was my sister's um, and stuff that I'd mentioned to me because I'd mentioned I'm the only one that looks like me when I'm out there. And they'd kind of mentioned, oh, you're the hell walking hijabi. So um, why don't you make an account and start sharing? Because all your all you're doing on this kind of personal account is sharing. Because I was, I was before that, I was probably just putting up your regular pictures of your food and your selfies and stuff. And they were like, "Oh, why don't you make a regular uh, and a hell walking account and share your kind of adventures and you know all the rest of it?" So that that's what I did. It was just a comment from a throwaway comment from one of my sisters, and I thought, "Oh yeah, why don't I?" And I actually thought at the time they were saying that because they were sick of seeing my pictures on, on uh, that, yeah. and they weren't interested in that. So I thought they were saying, "You know, just you know, go find go find your people." Um, so yeah that's why I made the account um, and I didn't expect it to kind of snowball the way it did I just kind of wanted to share and also wanted to stalk other people that were out in the mountains and kind of get tips from them so so yeah um, who, yeah, who do you like stalking on Instagram uh, can you name a couple of people we should be stalking yeah so I don't know if you know Nicola uh, Nick Adventurer Nick on Instagram she uh, did all 282 Monroes in six months um, with her partner, James Michael Forrest. So, uh, Mountain Man, I think he's known as. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. 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 I know James. Sorry, I didn't know. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, they both did all um, 282 Monroes in six months. And I followed their journey. And I think I had just started following when she started. Um, I actually was, it was actually Nicola that I started following first, Nick. And um I just started following her at the start of her Monroe bagging, I think, or or just started taking notice maybe then. And I just thought it was incredible because I thought, like, how can you do that in six months? Never mind. At that point, I don't even think I had started restarted my Monroe bagging. I think maybe seeing her adventures out there, I thought, right, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe let's do this. Maybe I don't need to do her crazy routes of... 13 hours of hiking in one day of six Monroes in one day or whatever she was doing. But I thought maybe, you know, I can get out there, you know, just kind of test the waters again. Um, so, yeah, I love, I love stalking her. I think she's great. Um, there's loads of people I love stalking on Instagram, but now you're putting me on the spot, so I can't remember okay. all their usernames. Cool. Wait, if, you th- if you think of any, you can email me later. Okay. I'll stick them in the show notes. That's- so. On Instagram, you are at the hillwalking hijabi. Yeah. Are you still the hill walking uh, hijabi in the hills or are you now a hill walking yeah. hijabi just one of one of many yeah i would love to say i'm um a hill walking hijabi and i actually made this point um at, so, so, to someone else that you know it's a shame that in tw- even in 2020 fair enough i started the account a few years ago but it's a shame that in 2020 that i can get away with calling myself the hill walking hijabi um so yeah you raise a really good point um i would like i think a lot of the time that I'm out there hiking, I am the only face that I see that looks like me, brown, hijabi woman. Um, 
But, you know, I do see that there are other women now, especially in England, I see that there's a lot of other women. One of my friends that I've actually met through Instagram, Amira the Wonderlust, who's also great for following. She actually wears, like, the full niqab. So she's out hiking and she's been a real inspiration to me as well. Um, you know, if she can do that with the full face veil, which is probably less of a less of an issue now with everyone wearing face coverings, but, um, <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. more, more accepted now, isn't it? Um, so, you know, it's nice to see that she's got a walking group in England and um, she's been kind of encouraging other women like within the community to get outdoors so uh, I would say there's a lot more women that look like me outdoors now Um, but certainly you know even since lockdown uh, the kind of hill days that I've had um, it's only been me that I've seen never mind even hijab wearing only brown women so I think we're probably still a rare rare breed outside (laughs) So can I'm going to ask you a few bit then about adventuring coming from a, a South Asian mm-hmm. uh, community. What what is your family um, bath, background? Where where did your family come from originally before ending up in the joys of Glasgow? <laughs> so and, and my mum was actually um, came to England when she before she was one years old, I think. Um, so she grew up in England. Um, I think they grew up near... So where did, where did, you, where did she come from? Uh, yeah, sorry. So she came from... Um, so yeah, they came. my mum came from Pakistan before she was uh, a year old um, near Faisalabad. And they came to England first. And um, it was because uh, I think um, my grandparents were asked to... Um, well, my grandfather specifically was asked to come over. It was post-World War Two. Uh, kind of economy and he came over he was actually a bus driver initially um, and uh, they lived outside of Rochdale um, and they grew up there until my mum was about 16 years old and then the family moved up to Glasgow um, and I always ask them why did you settle in Glasgow and I think it was my granddad just saw a business opportunity and that is as simple <laughs> as that um, to God, it's up. amazing isn't it how life yeah. The migrations of life end up yeah. with some random decision. Yeah, totally. And my dad actually came over from Pakistan um, from a similar place, Faisalabad, um, uh, when he was about 15, 16 years old. And he came over himself and he actually lived with family, a uh, different family when he came over. And then, yeah, and then they got married when they were in their early 20s. Um, so... So yeah, it's a small world that they both ended up in Glasgow. Yeah. So yeah, he bypassed the whole England. And my mum actually says, even though she had most of her kind of adolescent years in England, she much prefers Scotland. She says, the people, no offence, the people are nicer. <laughs> and she says... Okay, uh, <laughs> she says I'll, I'll, I'll brush over, I'll brush over <laughs> that comment. My, my first ever, sorry, my first ever yeah. cycling adventure was through Pakistan. I cycled oh, the Karakoram Highway from... Um, up north from Islamabad, up over um, the mountains to China. Yeah, that's um, amazing because yeah. I know that Pakistan's got such amazing kind of mountain areas and all the rest of it. And I've always wanted to go, but every time we go there, we're visiting family. We're not, um, we're not, uh, you know, kind of going to that side of the country. And I've always said the next time we go, we are going to the mountains. I want to go there. That mm. looks absolutely stunning. Oh man, I loved it there. So in my first series of this podcast, I was cycling around Yorkshire interviewing people. Um, mm-hmm. And one of my favourite evenings was with a, a guy called Imran Mughal, who's the mm-hmm. first British Pakistani to cycle around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. He, t- he took me to evening prayers at his mosque and then his mum mm-hmm. cooked me a ridiculously <laughs> big feast at their house, yeah. which is just what you need after a day on the bike. Yeah. Um, and he told me that 
the hardest part for him of cycling around the world was the resistance within his community mm. um, for people saying, people like us, we don't go off and do stupid adventures. And his mum mm. wanting him to be at home, not going yeah. off into the world. So much so that he didn't even tell his mum he's going to cycle around the world. He said to his mum, I'm just going to go for a long bike ride and then <laughs> come back. Um, so oh, did, did you... Did you or do you face resistance from within your community? Mm -hmm. So initially, I think when I started, there was a bit of apprehension. I think it's just because they were like, oh, are you sure you should think, you know, that's safe? You know, from a physical point of view, are you sure it's safe? But then also from a kind of, I suppose, an emotional well-being or a well-being um, perspective, is that safe? Because, you know, will you be accepted into that kind of um, community and that environment? Um, so there was all this kind of apprehension and I had to do a lot to kind of alleviate the fears. I think my dad was a bit more probably understanding than my mum. I think my mum worries a lot more. My dad was a bit more because I think he's obviously grown up in Pakistan around kind of um, the outdoors and stuff and had a farm there and stuff um, and was in the outdoors. So he appreciates the outdoors. Um, when he came over here, actually, he had, an, uh, for a period of his life, a couple a few years, he had an ostrich farm here. So... Um, yeah, so he loves it. That's a story for another podcast. Yeah, another I think. podcast. Yeah. I think you'll need to get him on for that. Um, okay. so, so, yeah, so he, um, you know, I really appreciates outdoors. So I think he kind of just said, you know, just make sure you're safe and that's fine. Whereas my mum had a lot more questions and you kind of have to alleviate those. Um, but I think the more she sees me going out, she knows, you know, I am safe and stuff. I think when I sometimes say, if I get reception, I'll sometimes send her a picture from the summit and she'll be like, don't stand too close to the edge and she doesn't realize it's like a path going down anyway um so yeah there, there was that kind of worry it wasn't ever it wasn't ever resistance like don't do it um because my parents or my family and my friends have never kind of said some to to me not to do something um but it was more kind of like this is our fears and then it was me kind of alleviating those fears because to be fair it was fears that I all had at the beginning so I totally understand and I have taken all my family members out at some point as well not to big Monroe days but like smaller hills Ben Ann taking my mum up there as well so I think she does um, they do understand it a bit more and I think seeing that difference in me mentally spiritually physically as well they kind of appreciate that so no I'm not faced any kind of specific resistance like you can't do this or you can't do that and they would never say or do that um, but it's more just you know this is our this this is our fears just make sure you stay safe kind of thing they're worried about their little girl yeah <laughs> it always will be yeah so one one thing you just said then was the um family were concerned yeah. or about how 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 you'd be accepted into the outdoor mm -hmm. community. How have you been accepted into the outdoor mountain community? How how's the experience been for you? I mean, generally, it's been really positive. Um, I think it's by far exceeded my expectations. Um, people are just really welcoming online, um, especially. I think because you see, especially during lockdown, the community of people that go hiking were kind of more forced to kind of connect online so I think you see a lot of that community spirit and feel online um, and I was I think I think just people you know reaching out to you messaging you engaging with you that kind of makes you feel more accepted and um, you do get the odd kind of comment here and there in your um, private messages or even on pictures that you I just delete straight away because I don't want to entertain that um, and you do get the kind of uh, you get outside I've never had any negative experience you do get the kind of more 
microaggressions, shall we say, where it's more people just kind of staring at you because they're not used to seeing someone like you outside. And that can be a bit off-putting because obviously you're there to kind of enjoy it the same as everybody else and you don't want to feel like you're on show. Um, So that can be a bit off-putting sometimes. And then sometimes people just assuming, I know that I am still relatively new to the outdoors, but people just assuming that I am, um, (laughs) you know, just because of the way I look. And I I don't think they would be assuming that um, for any other reason. Um, because obviously I've, I have got the gear now um, I've got the poles, I've got the proper walking boots I've got the waterproofs and all the rest of it so I think they just maybe assume that just because of the way I look or maybe it's because I'm out of breath I don't know, I like to sometimes give people the benefit of the doubt um, so oh, there's, there's a lot of people in the hills who've got extremely expensive equipment and who yeah. look like they belong i.e. they are yeah. white middle class yeah. men but yeah. who are also extremely knackered and unfit. Yeah. So I, I don't think I don't think you need to worry on that count whatsoever. Yeah. Now yeah. I I love the um the I love this random googling that I do for these uh, <laughs> chats. And last night I went down a internet rabbit hole I've never been down before into the world of breathable sports hijabs. I'm not yeah. sure. Well, I'm pretty. Sh- I can actually say I've never googled a hijab in my life. <laughs> the Nike one, by the yeah. way, looks very cool. So yeah. wearing a wearing a hijab, which is the headscarf, is yeah. it? Is it? I, mean, I guess you wear it every day, so it's no big deal. But is it a hassle to wear? Is it? Is it an awkward thing in the outdoors? I think it's an awkward thing when there's probably limited product out there for the outdoors. Um, so, for example, hijab, the Nike hijab, was a great. Um, you know, a starting point. I think because it was the first kind of company to endorse that. And it's crazy to think that was only a couple of years ago. Um, you know, Muslim women have been doing sports for ages, um, for years. Um, and, you know, it's crazy to think, you know, one of their needs is just being met just now. Uh, and the next hijab, is it does its job, but it's not very, I would say it's not very aesthetically pleasing to look at. It just kind of sticks to you. So you feel like a bit like... It looks like more that. like a balaclava, really, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so you do feel a bit like you, you've just got this kind of egg-shaped face um, just kind of coming out of this black circle. So, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, there's still, there's still, I think, advances to be made, hopefully... Hopefully by companies. You need a Gore-Tex one. Yeah, that's exactly what we need. <laughs> so um, a waterproof one, hopefully. Um, uh, so yeah, I think in terms of wearing it every day, obviously I am used to it. It's not a difficult thing. In terms of wearing it out hiking, that was a different story because initially when I went up Ben Lomond that first experience, I just wore one of my normal everyday ones, quite a thick one because all I was told was, you know, it's a lot colder in the summit and all the rest of it. So I thought, right, I'll wear a thick hijab I ended up having to actually take that off halfway through and put my hood up and keep that tightened the whole week walk up because it was unbearable to wear a thick hijab <laughs> it was just felt like I was burning up in this furnace um so that was an experience so now I wear accordingly if I'm wearing a normal everyday hijab it'll be a lighter one um, and it'll be on those days that are a lot cooler than the, the kind of rare summer days that we get up here anyway um, uh, and then sometimes I'll just wear a hat a woolly hat um, and that's more if it's those days that I feel a wee bit more kind of maybe self-conscious or I feel a bit more worried that I'm going to get questions and I can't be bothered for them, say I've had a difficult week at work. And, you know, I I know I can't, um, you know, take away from obviously my skin colour, but I can sometimes if I want to kind of go incognito, I can maybe put a hat on and people just assume I'm wearing a hat as opposed to a hijab or a head covering. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I guess it can be... 
I've uh, it can be exhausting being mm. a minority. I I know a small bit myself from mm. cycling around the world. So for about three years on the road, I yeah. didn't look like everyone else. And yeah. oh man, it just gets really boring. Yeah. Just yeah. endlessly people just looking at you, even if they're not saying this. Like, oh, yeah. do you stop looking at me? Yes, <laughs> I've got a pink nose. Go away. Leave me alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you know? Um, talking about different sort of inclusivity of groups in the outdoors. Do you know a group in Glasgow called Boots and Beards? Yeah, I do. So I've heard about them recently. I think I kind of had heard about them before um, through a couple of friends um, because I think maybe their partners um, maybe go on the walks or founded the group. Um, But yeah, I have heard about them. It's a shame though because is it them or is it yeah I think they're not that active on Instagram and I feel like they've got so much more to share so yeah I would love to see more from them on Instagram but I've not actually been on any of their walks with them but I think a couple of my friends actually have yeah I tried gosh it's well 2017 we had quite a lot of email back and forth about me trying to make a film with them but Uh the logistics of life got in the way but yeah yeah, I like what they're doing but yeah yeah, they're they're not with the cool kids on Instagram then I know (laughs) I think they're beyond (laughs) that I think if you're not on Instagram you're probably living even more of an adventurous life (laughs) yeah yes yeah that's I'm always conscious of that that there's of the people who are not talking about their adventures on Instagram but are actually just out doing a lot of them exactly Uh, they're they're the proper adventurers so what can be done what can the outdoor community whether it's people like me podcasts or um outdoor brands or just normal people participating out in the outdoors how can we i mean it's one thing to say the outdoors isn't we're not racist it's welcoming it's fine and i think generally we're not racist racist and it is welcoming but that's a big difference to actively encouraging a Mm -hmm. diverse audience so what can the outdoor community do to actively bring in more south asian people into into the hills i think one for one it's um if it's online you're wanting to maybe you know amplify their voices um i think that's a big thing that's taught us over the last few months um last couple yeah last couple of months is that maybe if they're if they're doing the same things that you know all these big adventurers are doing these big accounts are doing you know they're they're going out every weekend or they're going out every other weekend and they're doing these they're taking part in these amazing adventures it's maybe to showcase that and share that and like yourself like you're saying you know on your podcast have them as guests and all the rest of it but then I think a big part of it is not just that it's about the fact that a lot of the time that companies are talking about representation or diversity they're maybe just sticking a person of colour no matter what the race on their feed for like you know maybe a day and then that's it it's gone to the bottom and that they feel like okay tick that's it done and a lot of people can see through that especially people of color um ethnic minorities they can see through that they know when it's genuine and when it's not and i think we need more kind of sustainable um engagement and diversity and all the inclusivity and all the rest of it. I think a lot of time people think it's more of a tick box exercise. It's a company policy. It's okay, we've done it now. We don't need to revisit it. Just tick it off. That's it. But it's actually an everyday thing, thinking about how your, um, you know, your products, how your brand, how your company, all of the rest of it encourages it, not just kind of, you know, says, okay, yeah, we accept it and that's it. It's not a statement to be made. Uh, and it's not a verbal statement to be made although that helps as well it's not a verbal statement to be made it's more of a uh, we're champ- championing this every day 
Mm. I I really there's that that day just after the George Floyd when uh, Instagram everyone decides to put a black square up on Instagram and I didn't do oh. that because I really 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 objected to <laughs> the tokenism what felt to me the tokenism of that to suddenly just put up a black square and then tomorrow I'll just carry on putting up pictures of all my mountains as usual and people got really quite angry with me via Instagram for not Mm -hmm. doing that because I Mm -hmm. it just I just it just felt well it felt wrong to be doing nothing but it felt wrong to be doing something so token so yeah yeah I think you summed it up great. I think you summed it up great there. I think it was wrong to... I think a lot of people felt they didn't want to do that for the reasons that you just outlined. But I think... I think what is the defining factor is that knowing that not to say anything either or not to do anything either was wrong as well. And I think a lot of people probably just fell into that trap of maybe just not posting anything and then not doing anything or not saying anything. And that could be a bit... I think a lot of people's maybe seen that as a bit heartful that okay at the end of the day so I don't I I actually ended up posting a black square and then I ended up deleting it the next day because I thought when I read all the kind of um backlash from it from people from black people within the community that were saying that they didn't want a black square they wanted this and they wanted more discussion and they wanted petitions signed and they wanted more you know amplifying voices and they wanted to support for black businesses I thought right okay I, I maybe I maybe shouldn't have done that then and not clog up the feed and all the rest of it I hadn't used any of the hashtags anyway but you know it was a personal choice at the time that I thought was right so I wouldn't I don't um, begrudge anyone for posting it but at the same time I don't begrudge anyone for not posting it as long as they're doing something I think a lot of people just felt and I think what was quite sad was what followed was on a lot of Facebook groups outdoors Facebook groups there was a lot of racist comments and I I don't want to sugarcoat it there was a lot of racist comments that were brought to my attention I think people thought they were being nice by bringing them to my attention but all it does is you know make you feel a bit (laughs) a bit worse yeah exactly and worry you about going outdoors the next time so uh, you know there was people there was one comment I remember and I was I was actually dragged into it have not knowing any of the people that were talking about it um is that that someone said something about Muslims out hiking and the person had said, oh, from my experience, Muslim women just want to um, go out to eat food, do their nails and get glammed up kind of thing. And I thought, well, that's kind of factually wrong because if I do my nails, it means I can't pray. So, um, you know, you're, you're kind of factually wrong, but also you're kind of stereotyping. And their experience, they said, was from talking to one Muslim woman and then that's it, they've thought... That's it. That's the voice for all Muslim women, and that doesn't happen with you know a white a white woman or a white man. So, and then someone dragged me into the conversation by saying, "Oh well, have you not seen the hell walking hijabi? She's a Muslim woman, and she doesn't want to sit there and paint her nails." And while I appreciated the talk, I didn't want to be dragged into any kind of conversation and then it, you know used as bait. So I think, I think what it did was highlight the fact that you know as much as you like you said the you know we say that the outdoors is for everyone it's not racist and all the rest of it um there are people within that community that do think the outdoors is just for them and don't want to see it getting any more diverse or any bigger and you know I think maybe sometimes you can understand a bit of the fear in terms of you know popular places getting overcrowded but to discourage people that are already you know at a health disadvantage you know we're more likely South Asians are more likely to be at risk of heart coronary heart disease diabetes uh, you know all these kind of um, ailments 
and you know what is the best way to kind of overcome these ailments something that's free something that's meant to be for everybody going outdoors hiking walking whatever um you know to actively discourage people from a community that is already underrepresented are underrepresented and um you know, more at risk of these diseases and, you know, could actually help them on a serious level um, is just wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, I've always really found, I found it really distasteful, this theory that the outdoors are already full, mm-hmm. so we shouldn't be getting any more people in. It often applies yeah. to conversations about bothies or wild yeah. camping places. And I, geez, I mean, that's just, I find that really distasteful yeah. on a lot of levels. So what can people who enjoy the outdoors whether they're um working in the industry or just participating what practical useful things can we all do to help make the outdoors a more diverse friendly welcoming therefore interesting place to be I think so for example if you have a walking group and you're committed to maybe making that a bit more diverse and actually getting people out there maybe reach out to like local community groups and you know and just say that you know I have this walking group even if you have a flyer everybody's welcome is there anybody in your community that wants to come bring a group of people you know I'm happy to just you know do it for you that day or whatever you know just kind of reaching out you know if your life isn't diverse you're not going to get a diverse walking group you know set up so you maybe need to diversify your life first um you know and you know they were talking about people were talking about diversifying your feed but I think it's about diversifying all aspects of your life so that you can you know make a difference if you want if that's what you want to do um, so yeah, maybe reaching out to community groups in terms of brands and companies. I think they, I think the thing is, the people want to go for. I think what happens is that these companies want to go for the accounts that have a larger following, and that predominantly tends to be white, um, either male or female, most likely male adventurers, um, and you know they end up working with them, and then the cycle continues. They get more attention. They've got bigger accounts. They then get picked by companies again. But, you know, the thing is, a lot of people, and I actually was quite surprised in the last maybe few months or so, how many people I wasn't even aware of from ethnic minority backgrounds um, or diverse backgrounds that are out there doing the same things that everybody else is doing, but just not getting the recognition for it. Um, but it made me realise how diff- how easy it is. It's not difficult at all to find these people. If you're looking, you can find these people. So I think, yeah, just open up these conversations and you know, do your research. Cool. Thank you. Um, I end my podcast traditionally with some questions (laughs) from a deck of cards. Okay. They're quite hard questions um, (laughs) because I'm seeking wisdom from different people about life. So are are you up for a a few of these before you begin your busy day of accountancy? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Now, you can't pick, obviously, because sadly we're apart. So you have to tell me when to stop and I'll pick a card. Okay. Stop. What would the 80-year-old version of yourself advise you to do? Hmm. I think the 80-year-old version of myself would probably tell me not to stress as much (laughs) Um, because life is too short, especially if I'm at 80. So (laughs) I think probably telling me not to stress too much, get outdoors more, not to stress too much, and everything will work out because I've I've been through these difficult periods in my life, you know, whether it's studying, whether it's, you know, um, other things in my life, like I went through a divorce and stuff. So, you know, just to realise that, you know, everything has its time and place and you know whatever you're going through will 
to pass at one point and you'll get through it. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. Right. Tell me when to stop. Stop. What advice would you offer to someone who faces the same big barriers that you do? Oh, interesting. Um, I would say break it down. So what, what is the barriers? You know, obviously, if there's more than one, you're not going to be able to maybe solve them all. Maybe you will, but you probably won't be able to solve them all within the same hour or whatever um, or the same day. Even. So I would say break them down um, into manageable smaller barriers and then try and overcome those barriers as as simplistic as it sounds I think once you break things down and once you see them for what they are um you know you are able to you are able to break you are able to overcome them so for example with me out hill walking that initial first hill walking with my hijab and I was overheating and I thought I can't do this and also follow my religion at the same time um, I'm gonna have to end up taking my scarf off but obviously I put a hood up whatever but then afterwards you know breaking it down and thinking right okay what is the actual issue? Okay, it's an overheat. So I've got lighter scarves. I've let me research. There's this Nike sports hijab. There's this hijab. There's that hijab. You know, I can I can put these on and I can try it out and I can try all these different things out. And, you know, worst, came, worst scenario, I'll just put up a, a hood or a cap or something. So I think just breaking it down and thinking, right, what is it that I'm will, willing to do to overcome this barrier? If I really want to do this, you know, if you really want to do whatever it is that's, you know, stopping you, you will find a way, I think. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, next one. Stop. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> oh dear, I think I'm grown up already. Well, I think I'm. I don't know. Um, I think I want to be able to. So I know that a lot of adventurers go out there full time jobs and become full time adventurers, which I think is amazing and takes some guts to do that. I don't know if that's for me though because I crave stability in my life and I think that's too much instability. So I think I would just be able, I, I think long term, I would be able, I'd like to be able to have a bit more of a balance between work and adventure and maybe even in the future go down to part-time um, four days a week instead of five and just open that up because right now I feel like one day in the weekend is taken up for adventure and then the second day in the week a weekend is taken up either with family or friends and then it leaves you no time to kind of prepare for the week ahead not that you need to do a lot of preparing but you know what I mean it just feels like it's kind of action-packed and you don't get a chance to just breathe so I think you know long term maybe like to go part-time and have a bit more time for adventuring but not give up the day job completely that is amazing you said that because you know what I was going to say to you off air after we stopped recording was that I I love your story um mm-hmm. you tell stories very well you do cool Gosh. stuff you're a cool sassy young <laughs> woman your story is really relevant and and I think you're wasted in accountancy and what <laughs> I was going to suggest to you is not to quit your job for the reasons yeah. you say but yeah. try and go down to four days yeah. start writing articles get uh-huh. brands to not just not just give you a waterproof coat but give you cash yeah to yeah. wear that waterproof coat and yeah. actually go out and I think you could make so much difference to the outdoor community far more than you can to the accountancy world so yeah. I'm glad you I'm glad that's mowing <laughs> in your head and uh, if, I'd love to chat I'll chat I'd love to chat to you later about okay. that if, if um, yeah of course I'm really glad you said that because <laughs> I think that's 
you could that would be brilliant yeah right final question because okay. for me breakfast is calling and for you <laughs> spreadsheets are calling <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> okay right tell me when stop stop <laughs> um if you could pause everything yeah and spend a year doing whatever you wanted yeah what would you do hell walking <laughs> i'd maybe try and get all the i'd maybe try and see if i could get all the monroes done just for the fun of it like a challenge it wouldn't have to be monroes it could be like corbett's it could be anything just to kind of maybe challenge myself because right now i'm doing it for fun which is great but right i'm turning 30 next month so i'm trying to get to 30 monroes by 30 um which may seem easy to do but given i've got a lot of um family birthdays and um commitments over the next month it's reducing the time i have for the outdoors so it'll be an interesting challenge but that's the first time i've actually challenged myself to do something to do with hill walking so i quite like the taste of it i quite like the fact the kind of feeling of adrenaline that it's bringing and i quite like the fact that it's pushing myself outside of my comfort zone because I think otherwise I would maybe have a couple of Monroe days, um, a couple of low-level walks or whatever and I'd just be taking advantage of my free time but I don't think I would be as focused in the goal so um, or focused in any in, in hill walking. It's just, you know, seen as a, a hobby for me so I quite, quite like the feeling of this challenge so yeah, I, I would quite like to maybe just challenge myself whether that's Monroe bagging or Corbett bagging or some kind of bagging, I don't know. <laughs> Very nice. So I can I can feel the the sort of energy and the ideas and the enthusiasm <laughs> bubbling up inside you. So I'd, I'd be excited to see what what you're up to um, a year from now. So thank you so much for taking time to talk to me this morning. I've really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, it's been a good chat. So Bohad Shukriya. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. And, uh, very well pronounced there. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I hope I uh, hope our paths cross in the hills one day. It'll be lovely. Too. Thanks for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. If you did, please do rate and review the series on your podcast app. It really helps. Please also take a quick screenshot right now and send it to any of your friends who might appreciate listening. There are dozens of episodes for them to dip into. And if you enjoy mulling over the questions on my deck of cards, you can now try them out yourself. I've put them all into a notebook for living adventurously, which you can buy on my website. And whilst you're there, why not sign up for one of my three email newsletters or two other podcast series? Okay, enough of the sales talk. Thank you very, very much indeed for listening to Living Adventurously. I hope you'll come again soon.